Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports, another quick shift edition of The Cule Show. Thank you all very much for watching. We are live, like we said, on 12 Ounce Sports. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Cule, and we got us a jam-packed show today here, guys. Let me tell you what. We got all sorts to talk about. The wife is yelling through the window that she loves me. That's always good. Make sure you're watching us. Of course, if you're not watching us here on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Zingo TV, Channel 761, make sure you watch us tomorrow on the replay of this episode of The Cule Show. Make sure you get involved by using the hashtag TKS and at The Cule Show. Tyler, why are you running through everything so fast? Well, because I have may have someone on the line that you guys want to hear from, and also the fact that, well, we only have an hour in this quick shift edition here on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you very much, of course, to Second String Leather Company, repping their swag once again here on TKS. Make sure you check them out, secondstringleathercompany.com. Make sure if you ever have any custom gear you want created into your own personal wallet, your own bathroom bag, all that stuff, check them out. They got all sorts of good stuff that they can create with your old equipment. And, of course, remember always, Second String Leather is hashtag crafted from the crease. MyBookie.ag down here in the corner. Bet on all sports on MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS to sign up for free and get paid. All sorts of sports to talk about. Of course, we are here to talk about the playoffs. And with that, we are going to bring on our first guest today. We'll talk about all everything with the playoffs with this man here. He is a writer for the Hockey News. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Stephen Ellis. Stephen, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, we are doing all hunky-dory here in West Michigan. And, you know, this has just been a a whirlwind scenario. We're still technically one win away from a certain team from going on to the Stanley Cup Finals. But for you yourself, you providing, you and the guys at the Hockey News have been providing so much coverage for these playoffs. Tell us from the journalist side of things. We've talked with guys that have, you know, been calling games and have just been watching as fans. From a writer's perspective, how has these playoffs been so different from playoffs in the past? Well, part of it is the access is kind of different. And the one thing that's like, because most of the hockey news guys were all based in Toronto. So we would get a lot of our quotes from things going on in Toronto. And, um, but now the way they kind of have it working is it doesn't need to be just the two teams that are playing in one city. But for most of the playoffs, it was half the teams that were still around were playing in Toronto and the other half were playing in Edmonton. But the Zoom capability that allowing us to interview any of the players, talk to new players during those press conferences is something that's never been done before. So uh, technology has been a huge help this year more than ever because we have been able to be connected to all the major stories. And uh, if we're covering a game going on Toronto versus Boston, well, that same day we can ask a guy who was playing in Bo- playing on uh, the totally different team playing on the Islanders, playing on the Oilers, playing on the Blackhawks, that thing. So that's been really cool, being able to get more access to that. And, um, but otherwise, it's it's been kind of weird just not being at the games. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's unprecedented times. Where I live right now, actually, I could see Scotiabank Arena. Oh, I didn't yeah. get to go to any of the games, so that part was kind of weird. But um, it's it's you know a lot more access than we're used to. Just no one on ones. But otherwise, I'd say it's been kind of a nice different experience. Yeah, the, from a from a fan's perspective, I mean, and we sit here and we watch at home, and I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, isn't it weird watching without fans? I'm like, well, yes, but then again, I mean, there have been some games where I've called games in front of no people anyways, so I mean, that's it's almost second nature to some of us, but 
it, it makes it for a very unique experience. And like you said, the technology has been so amazing because we've had to have, we've been able to have a lot of people do Google chats with us here on the show, doing Google videos and so on and so forth. And I guess the big thing, of course, with these playoffs, Stephen, kind of getting into the on-ice action here, has been the extended playoff format, the 2014 playoff format. Not your typical, you know, four rounds. You have the qualifying round before the official Stanley Cup playoffs. What is your take on that? I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on it. Some guys like it. Some guys say they could do without it. What is your take? And obviously, with Seattle coming around here in a year or two, there's going to be even more teams. Would you like to see an extended playoff format in some format or in, in some way in the NHL here in the future? Well, to start, I got to say, I'm, I'm so used to going to games with no fans as it is. So <laughs> none of this is all kind of weird. I've, I, I've covered junior A hockey specifically for about six years. So I could say that this is all a, a very normal experience in that case. But in terms of the extended playoff format, I'd say that's something that I would know. At first, I was like, that's kind of cool. I, but as the playoffs have gone on, I gotta say this is kind of getting really dull. I don't feel like like each night it's like I'm not too excited to go and watch even an elimination game in the conference finals because I don't know if it's just because two of the teams that are in the that are made it to this far, being the Islanders and Dallas Stars, are more defensive teams. Um, but I think it's kind of just the the fact that it just it almost looked like the players were starting to get tired out pretty quickly and having that extra round of the playoffs definitely kind of contributed to that. But I'd say kind of like the, the qualifying round and the, and the round rock, great hockey. And then the first round was a kind of a step down from what we we're used to in the first round. And then it's kind of been some nice moments kind of sprinkled in, but there's been a lot of other times where it's like, we're kind of, we were expecting more chaos and we thought maybe the fact that there's, there was so much time off for the players that the players would have, Kind of been rested, and I think we see some more fun. And I, I don't think we've been really seeing as much excitement as we're used to in the playoffs. And um, as a result, like we were getting to the point where it, 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 it seems like each game has almost been a chore. Watching the, the Islanders win a double overtime game with 24 shots is not exactly what I expect the playoff hockey at this point of the year. But at the same time, it's a style that's working for them. So, what I would like to do if they are going to attempt a kind of uh, an extended format is maybe a four-team wildcard tournament where each, that I don't have a format would fully work, but it would have to be something kind of like what we see in baseball, and obviously they have uh, two teams per conference, um, and then that works, per league, so I should say, and that works, but for this, if, if they, the NHL went to something like that, I think that's the only way you can make an extended playoff work. I think 16 teams works because there's still enough excitement throughout. Adding this extra round has kind of not been as exciting because this is the point usually the fourth round of the playoffs that we'd all be thinking okay well the Stanley Cup's coming on every game is so important and I feel like we're just seeing some dull action that we wouldn't have seen in a usual year yeah I've 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 honestly realized that myself and it's like having last night to myself and not having to watch hockey it's 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 crazy because at the beginning of the qualifying round even the round robber like oh my gosh we have hockey we're so excited and there was some great hockey of course no question about it and there have been some good games as the series have worn on but it just seems like you're almost putting an effort to watch the games and my poor wife that we heard off the top of the broadcast yell through the window it's taken a toll on her too, because she's like, is there any night that we can't watch hockey? And I said, well, no, unfortunately, <laughs> yep. 
But it has been exciting. But now we are down to three teams. We obviously have game six tonight between the Islanders and Tampa. Dallas, though, has already moved on. They clinched the spot. We'll get into a little bit more in depth in our second half of our program today. But you wrote a piece that came out yesterday, Stephen, about Anton Hudobin and a goaltender that, and I make the joke all the time, that had you said that Pavel Francouz and Anton Hudobin were going to go up against each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs back in October, I would have laughed at you. Now we're looking at Anton Hudobin, and you made a really good point in your piece yesterday, a couple times actually, that now he is a guy that can be considered for the Conn Smythe Trophy the way he's played for the Stars. What, in your eyes, has made him the MVP of the playoffs for Dallas? That's the thing. The staff don't suggest that he deserves the Consmite Trophy, but I think you just you, you got to look at how big of an impact he's had. And if every year, if, they, if the, the same top players are always putting up the top points, that's what's expected. But what you're not expecting is your backup goalie to come in and fill in for a guy like Ben Bishop, one of the best goalies in the league. And I've already picked him for my fantasy hockey league entry. I felt confident I am in Ben Bishop. But Ben Bishop's been out for almost the entire playoff. And to Kodobin's had to come in at 34 years old, with very minimal playoff experience outside of just kind of filling in when a previous goalie struggled. So this is a new experience for a guy at that age. That's a tough thing to kind of overcome, but he's looked really good. And when they needed him to be good, he stood on his head. And playing against uh, Michael Hutchinson for a lot of that series in Colorado near the end, I think was something where it's like, well, you kind of hope it could open the guy who goes out there and steals the games, and he wasn't necessarily, and that was kind of my question. It's like, okay, well, he's now stolen some games for Dallas, but then he's also been kind of a liability in other games, but I think what we saw him playing against Vegas, a team that on their own was struggling to score, and part of that is because of how well Dallas was playing defensively, but because of Kudobin also was saving uh, they're, they're bacon, basically. But the, the one stat I think that's really important is his record when he's faced at least 35 shots in a game, and that's a 7-1 record. It's hard for any goalie to be able to do that at a consistent rate because it's when you, when you get that extra action, there's more of a chance they'll make a mistake. or and Statistically, you're going to have a tougher time. But when for a guy like him to come in there each night and steal games with 35-40 saves, that's important. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which team Dallas plays against in the final because Tampa Bay is obviously a high-flying offensive team. That will be a huge challenge for him, and I think that'll be really important. I don't necessarily think he's going to win the consummate. I think if you've got to pick on Dallas, you've got to go from your high skin at this point. But at the same time, Kudobin's giving a really good case of why he should be considered. And goalies are typically never really considered for that award, but he's putting on a performance each night where you, you – don't need to rely on him, but he's pulling up the stops when you need him, and that's what's important. And it's it's crazy because I'm looking at his record right now. You talk about a seven and one record, eight games when he's had to make thirty plus saves. He's twelve and six, which means if you're doing the quick math in your head, he's five and five when he actually makes less than thirty saves. So it's I I almost go back and I mean, Stephen, you're in Toronto. I don't know if you remember a guy by the name of James Reimer, but it seemed like if he got of had, course. If he had 40 shots against him, it was a good game because he seemed to always play well when he, they got outshot, the Leafs did. And Hudobin has been able to do that right now, second in, in playoff save percentage with 920. And, you know, it's, it's, you can't be too shocked at Hudobin because he did lead the league in, reg, in regular season save percentage with a 930. So his numbers have always been there, but as you pertain to, his playoff experience is minimal, but yet here he is. And 
And I wonder, because I remember I talked about this with the Flyers play-by-play voice Jim Jackson before the playoffs in regarding Carter Hart. Do you think the lack of fans and the lack of, I guess, fanfare, if you will, makes it easier on these players with in, within these playoffs and the bubbles? Well, the, the question, I think, heading into the playoffs was, would that hurt them? Uh, I, I don't, because the players, when they're at the best of the best, they don't listen to the crowd. And um, so for guys like that, like they, you know what, they're, they're so focused that crowd or not, I don't know if they totally notice it. The one thing that I think we've noticed though, is when you look at some of the hottest goalie runs of the playoffs, Thatcher Demko, Jonas Corposolo, Anto Kodobin, Carter Hart, what do they all have in common? And that is almost no playoff experience whatsoever. So I think that's actually been something that's kind of been interesting where the goalies that have never been in this situation before and are going in completely green, completely fresh, have nothing to lose, are the ones that are really performing well. Because look at that Philadelphia series. Carter Hurt was not the problem. Carter Hurt was the star. And he was a guy that had never played a playoff game before. And he played in big World Junior games. He played in big WHL games. But he never played in a situation like this. And playing those games and stealing them against a team that had Carry Price at the other man. Like, that's, that's important. So I think that's really cool to see that these goalies that don't have any experience going in fresh and they're not thinking about past performances or past mistakes. They're thinking, well, you know what? I got nothing else to go off of. Let's do this. And it seems to be working for those goalies. And I think that's kind of an interesting trend that maybe isn't getting enough attention. And that's why I almost wonder will the next year's playoffs, wherever they, you know, however they may be, with fans, without fans, I mean, will it be different for all these kids? It'll almost be like they're rookies all over again. But, you know, talking about Dallas as a whole, is this a team that we should take seriously? Because I've gone on record multiple times saying, you know, this is not necessarily, you know, yeah, they made it to the playoffs and they, you know, won a central division that was kind of way, or they were towards the top of a central division that was kind of wavery at times, but yet they beat Calgary and then they somehow outlast Colorado, who was heavily favored in that series. And then they beat the number one Vegas Golden Knights, which at the time looked like the best goaltending tandem and the best team in general heading in to the conference finals. Are they now at that point where you consider them a favor heading into the next round in the Stanley Cup finals? Or are they still a team that said, yeah, but they shouldn't have been here anyway, so we can't take them seriously still? Uh, you you got to take them seriously at this point because yeah they don't play exciting hockey they might take nine shots in a period or nine shots in an entire game but if they stop every single one of them that's all that matters and for Dallas it's the fact that a lot of heading into the playoffs is like okay well we know what Jamie Ben could do we know what Tyler Seguin could do but Dallas is one of the worst offensive teams in the NHL I believe in terms of goals for they finished twenty eighth out of thirty one teams not great for a playoff no, no, team not at all. but they were good in their good in their crease and they had some really strong defense. I mean, like, that's the thing. Taylor Fadoon and, and Jamie Alexiak are two guys that you wouldn't think of as being like high quality players, but they were fantastic during the regular season. Alexiak's showing that again in the playoffs. He's like an unsung hero for the Dallas Stars in terms of possession and blocks and everything. So the fact that Dallas' the depth is really kind of pulling their weight is huge. But this is a team that uh, I don't believe anyone's got 10 goals in the playoffs for that team. Uh, very few guys actually have a, a, more than 15 points. And Jamie Benn's been playing really good, but Tyler Sagan, you'll wonder where he is in an average night. And, and Rajulov will come up big one night, and then you forget he's on the ice the next game. So there are guys that are on there that are just kind of not necessarily playing to their full potential each night. But they're just doing so much as a group. They've got the depth. It seems like any line can score on any given night. But they're so strong in their own zone, and that's what's important. And when they're able to force the teams they're playing 
to play their style of game, they're going to win. And that's the thing. If you play Vegas school tonight, the team that could score, a team that had so much depth, great goaltending, great defense. But all of a sudden, they were chasing that series. And that's something I don't think anyone expected. I didn't expect Dallas to win that. If they were to go play Tampa Bay, well, Tampa Bay has been suckered into a few of the Islander-style games. Again, a game where the, where the Islanders won with 24 shots in double overtime. That's ridiculously stupid that right. that even happened. But the fact is, like, if you can take those teams out of what they're good at, and that's what Dallas has been able to do all year, that's when you got to take them super seriously. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it because I've always given the minor criticism to Marty Berdur's stats because he played on a 90s New Jersey Devils team that was incredibly good at defensive hockey. But similar to Dallas, they did it as a group, which is funny because Dallas lost to New Jersey in the 2000 final, if all of us remember. But like there was no real I mean, there were, they had offensive talent at the Devils, but there was no superstar off. They didn't have like any standout scores. They were just a good collective team. But going over to the Islanders-Tampa series, I was ready for this Thursday show to be a Stanley Cup preview show because Tampa was going to get it done, and I stayed up through the double overtime thinking, oh, here comes a here comes a goal by Victor Hedman because, of course, it'd be Victor Hedman scoring the way he's been on these playoffs. But Islanders hold on. They win the game. Jordan Eberle, of course. Jordan, Jordan Eberle scoring big goals in Canada. Who would have thought my goodness, it's almost it's a crazy deal. But is this series over tonight? It was that game kind of a bit of a blip, and you think John Cooper will get the lightning back on track, or can the Islanders force this thing to go the distance? I don't think Tampa Bay can afford to let that happen again. And we don't know what the situation is with Braden Point is at this exact time, but if they get Braden Point back, that changes a lot in this game. And I think you need the guys at Kucherov and you need the guys like Sorelli, the guys that you counted on all season to really step up. The Lightning kind of fell into the Islanders' trap. They couldn't get any of their good scoring chances. They got made mistakes. But at the same time, we know Tampa's got more skill, and they've got a team that, in theory and on paper, should pull off the victory here. But they just can't fall into the Islanders' trap of kind of having to play the Islanders' game, which is a more defensive, like, we will shut you down and we'll bore the heck out of you the whole night. Tampa Bay's got to get a quick one here and force the Islanders to start playing Tampa's game. And that's a tough thing, obviously, because the Islanders are so strong defensively. They don't need a star defenseman to lead that team. They just got incredible depth. And Varlamov is one of my uh, unsung heroes of this playoff. I don't think he's getting enough credit for how good he's played. But that is also a very trust team where they will shut you down. So Tampa Bay needs to adjust. I still think Tampa Bay pulls this one off. I think Tampa's still just too strong of a group, and they've they, they've shown how fast, how quick, and talented they could be if they get Braden Point back in. And I think in this case, if he's even just a bit iffy, I think it put him in as long as it's not a huge health concern because it's a guy that you really need to rely on, and you might have a few days to let him rest. We don't know obviously when the Stanley Cup Finals are officially going to begin, but. If you have that, that could be a huge difference. Yeah, Tampa just needs to score one quick and force the Islanders to play Tampa's game because they won't be able to do that. That's the one thing I hate about our one-hour shows here on Thursday nights here on TKS because the fact that always the who's in, who's out of the lineup always comes after we go off the air, so we can't do any live reporting compared to our Monday night shows. But, I mean, you talk about how big brain point is, but a guy we talked about with Raw Charges, Justin Godfrey, on Monday was Steven Stamkos, or the lack thereof. I I don't want to say he's, and I remember I hinted at this as a very 
open-ended question. Like, do the Lightning need Stamkos? Is it is this a situation where they're realizing, despite how good he's been for his entire career at Tampa, is he, a, is he an afterthought now with the Lightning? Or do you think if he was able to come back and if they really wanted to put him in the lineup that he'd actually be a key contributor to this Tampa Bay team? I think he'll be a key contributor, and obviously we don't expect him to return. Um, no, he won't return at all for this series. But I, I look at St. Louis, and that's a team where could they win without Vladimir Tarasenko? And we saw them. They've been a short place in the Western Conference with Tarasenko only playing 10 games. So that's a team that, yeah, that could win. In Tampa Bay, I still think so because they got so much depth. They got good prospects where if he was to miss an entire season, I don't think they'd have to worry about still being a top-five team in the league. But again, he put so many points up. He's such a, a valuable two-way player when he's healthy. He's one of the best players on the ice at any given shift and might even be Tampa's most well-rounded player. The problem is his health has always been concerning his game. So, yeah, you want him in the lineup. They can play without him, but he still just takes you another step that a lot of players in that team can't do. That is true. And I just, I wonder, because, well, then again, I said, I say that because I am a minor, you know, I cheer for the Leafs and it would have been great to have him before his contract. But now that we have $40 million wrapped up in three forwards, we can't do that anymore. But um, going to the Islanders now, I, I just this team is has shocked me, and and it shouldn't shock me because Barry Trotz is their head coach, and I and I remember my buddy Harrison Watt, who's been on our show now, I think eight times. He asked the question once: Is Barry Trotz the best coach of this generation? And by that, I mean pretty much since Scotty Bowman, in terms of being able to take teams that may not have the most talent but is able to put in a structure and a strategy that helps them and builds them to take two goaltenders in terms of Robin Leonard and Semyon Varlamov, whose careers who looked like they were going nowhere. Now, once again, they're number one goaltenders and has been able to create a system that has just absolutely thwarted some of the best offenses in this league. Is Barry, should Barry Trotz have won the Jack Adams? I guess that's my question. I, I, obviously, there's a huge case for that. This is a guy that no matter where he goes, he gets the most out of it. Nashville Predators, when have they ever had a star forward for longer than one season? Never. When, like, their defense was obviously really good, and he took advantage of that. Go to Washington. They couldn't make things work with Bruce Boudreau there. Barry Trotz comes in, changes everything. He leaves, goes to the Islanders. He said the team wasn't very good. Um, if you look at the team on paper, I, I didn't have them making the playoffs. Uh, this is a team that been two years without now without John Tavares, the best player the team has had in a very long time. Uh, they they had questionable goaltending situation where um, at least last year they had Robin Leonard and Thomas Gray, but you didn't expect Robin Leonard to have the season he had, and then this year you didn't expect Varlamov to have the season he had. Even then, Varlamov's stats are are still kind of mid pack, but he's been able to get so much out of a roster that I don't think a lot of other coaches would have been able to do. Like if you look. You look against that series against Washington. Washington had the advantage in net. They had the best defenseman, and they're the best forward. And the Islanders won that series. Something I don't think anyone really expected. It's just because as a group, he's able to kind of get everyone to play so co- cohesively, and that's really the difference maker that a lot of coaches just simply can't do. So you look at that, and I think that's kind of what makes him such a good coach. He gets so much out of anything. And like he took the Capitals to a level that another great coach wasn't able to do. And when you have the talent that the Capitals have, you expect them to play for championships every year. And we haven't been able to see that. They haven't won a series since 
they won the Stanley Cup and they had a new coach, then wasn't able to take it over. They have a new coach now going forward. But you look at that, it's like that's how important Barry Trotz is. And Trotz could potentially play for another Stanley Cup in a year that I don't think anyone ever expected. And of course, by new coach, you're talking about Peter Laviolette, who recently signed the last couple of days with the Washington Capitals to be their new head coach. I'm sure everyone that was expecting Mike Babcock to be the coach is disappointed. I mean, it would have been great for our show because we would have had our our good takes here on TKS. But I, you talk about how Washington, Washington had that superstar talent that Boudreaux was able to use. You almost wonder if Boudreaux had those guys with those Nashville teams in those early 2000s, like when Pecorine was just hitting his peak, how far could those Nashville teams have gone in those days? Now, obviously, we're going to be looking forward to the Stanley Cup final, and you think Tampa's going to do it, so pretty much it sets up a Sun Belt Stanley Cup final in Edmonton. I know it sounds funny, but hey, you know what? It's 2020. Everything is funny. <laughs> do What is your prediction for this series? Because if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to, I've been look, meaning to do the research. I believe this will be the first time that two teams in the Sun Belt of the U.S. are going up against each other in the Stanley Cup final, if I'm not mistaken. But in your... Now, of course, that would require Tampa Bay to move on at this point. Well, yes, of course. And, of course, that's what your pick was. So if, if Tampa does get it done, knock on wood, if the Dallas Stars are ready to go, who do you pick? Because you say how Dallas needs to be taken seriously, but is, is Tampa this team of destiny, the team that they've been waiting for since, you know, Stamkos arrived? I never like to change my Stanley Cup predictions until the team that I picked to win the Stanley Cup is no longer in it. And ah. I picked Tampa Bay to win the Stanley Cup back in August. So I'm sticking with Tampa Bay. But I, I, I think Tampa just has too much skill where Dallas is just going to need to take their game to a whole new level. And again, they, they've, yeah, look at the, the forward situation where you got Kucherov, will that beat anyone in Dallas? Look at the defense situation. Well, would you still give that edge to Hedman over Heiskin? Heiskin has had a better playoff, but overall, I would still take Hedman in that case. In that, who do you take? Vasilevsky, or do you take Anton Kudobin? So in that case, Russia's got, or Tampa Bay, sorry, not Russia. Tampa Bay's got all the, the, the big stars you need. But at the same time, that truly has not mattered kind of in this playoff at all, which is why Dallas is where they are. you got to give credit to Dallas. I just don't think they have enough for Tampa Bay. This is a Tampa team that learned a lot from that loss to Columbus last season. They've been good from start to finish. They really haven't had any hiccups this year. And I think that's something that's almost kind of ignored. And as a result, yeah, I, I still think Tampa Bay is going to go with it. I picked Tampa and Vegas to be in the cup final back in August. I was close, I'll say. But I've also picked Tampa Bay in the, to be in the final five years in a row. So, yeah, you could see kind of my reluctance at one point there, but I'd still go Tampa Bay winning the cup. You know, it's funny because I'm trying to look on my on our the old list of all the podcast episodes that we've had here on TKS because I remember as soon as that series ended last year against Columbus, I came out and I I'm pretty sure I'm 95. I know I've said it the entire season, but I congratulated the Tampa Bay Lightning on becoming the 2020 Stanley Cup champions because. There is just so much similarities between this Tampa team, which ironically was built by Steve Eiserman, to those Eiserman Red Wings teams of the 90s. They always had a good team in the regular season, flamed out in the playoffs. The Red Wings in 96, 62 wins. Tampa, 62 wins. They lose in the first round. Both teams didn't win the Stanley Cup. The next year, they won. I, is, I, I'm hoping this team is the team of destiny because, man, I've been predicting this team for now almost 400 days to win the Stanley Cup. So, it would be an interesting final for sure, no matter who makes it. Hopefully Tampa does, or else Stephen and I here look like buffoons because we don't, 
we got to make sure our picks sound good. But shortly after the Stanley Cup Finals, and the Stanley Cup is handed out to whomever wins, we will have the NHL, and almost said NFL draft, because for some reason that's bigger than the NHL draft, even though it shouldn't be. It's a crime. The NHL draft coming up, and Steven, you wanted to make sure we talked about it, because obviously there is a lot of talent this year coming into this draft, and everyone's pointing the finger, Alexi Lafreniere, number one pick, going to the Rangers. Well, I mean, that's 99.9% true, but then there's other guys that everyone's talking about, Quentin Byfield, Tim Stutzel, those guys are going to be top five, no question about it. But outside of that, though, there is a lot of talent still. But who out there that is probably going to be a first-round pick, maybe a high-end, that no one's talking about, Stephen? Who do you think is right now kind of being brushed under the rug but should be talked about a lot more heading into this draft? Well, that, that's kind of a tough one. This year, it, this year's draft is so weird. We kind of all expected 2020 to be this year of – incredible prospects and it lived up to it of course this season that this season was completely strange the one guy i think you really got to keep an eye on is somewhere where a lot of people have them rank in ranks you know, 20th to 30th is hendrix Lapierre out of qmjhl he's a guy that before this season started was almost for sure a top 10 pick but concussions have really i believe it's three concussions in two seasons have really slowed his game down and as a result he hasn't played as many games i believe he only had 19 games this year, but he looked really good in those 19 games. He's a guy that, if healthy, I think has so much upside where he would be a top 10 prospect, but because he missed so much time, that didn't help. So I think a team that's looking to take a bit of a gamble might have a couple picks in the first round, <coughs> Ottawa Senators, um, who, who could maybe take a, a risk later in the first round, could really benefit from this dynamic two-way center with pure, pure skill. But again, he does have the injury concerns surrounding him. Another one is actually a goalie, Nick Malik. And he's a guy that a lot of people had um, as early as two years ago as the number two goalie to Yaroslav Askarov. And this year kind of was a rough year for him. He played in the Czech League, really struggled. He was playing against guys as much as in, in the case of uh, Yammer Yager, like 30 years older than him. But he was able to play against older competition and kind of learn that style. He played in the Czech two league and then he came over to the OHL and he was never able, able to find his momentum because he was moving around so often and getting pulled from league play to play internationally. And I think someone like him still is when a guy is so, so highly rated early in their career, it's someone where they have an opportunity, I think to be a breakout candidate again in the future. And, uh, I, He's not high on the rankings right now. I believe the European rankings, he's something like the eighth or ninth goalie at this point. But he's someone where he proved what he's able to do at points. When he plays internationally, he could be totally dominant, absolute steal games. And uh, so he's something where if you're looking for a long-term goalie project, might be someone to really target. Malik actually is currently, because he did play in the OHL, like you said, it's probably why he's on the North American list. He's actually up to 10th. I don't know if... I see him on the. Uh, did you, wait, excuse me. Did you that say that would be right? But he is back in Europe now. At least okay. For, uh, going forward, but of course that one doesn't matter in the rankings. That makes sense. Sometimes the NHL Central scouting rankings are just funny because I I want I always say I'm like but I'm like this guy's from Europe but he's playing in the OHL so that makes him a North American skater and but he's European. It just sometimes it gets a little confusing. But I mean, there's a couple guys I don't think a lot of people are talking about. But who do you think? Because last year we saw Marit Sider get drafted by Steve Eiserman. And I remember watching that draft, and I was with Mo Sider. My job was on the floor about as quickly as his was because no one expected that. 
The Red Wings obviously picking fourth overall. Ironically, that's where Steve Eisman was picked in 1983. But is that where do you think Stevie Eisman's going to make another bombshell pick, kind of like another shocker? Or do you think he's going to stay the course and just kind of go next who's the best available? Because some people are saying Cole Perfetti may jump up a little bit because it seems like he can fit within with Detroit. What do you think the Wings will do? Well, so if Mort Sutter, that's the guy who I had ranked fifth last year, and a lot of people had him ranked much lower, and he actually went up, uh, went sixth overall last year. But um, I think that was a great pick because he's a guy where a lot of people are saying, like, who, why? But he was playing top-line minutes a lot in the German Pro League, which is really hard for a defenseman because, oh, there, they don't necessarily value young young players like that. And he was playing key minutes. And then there were other times where he was scratched, not playing, and they were kind of just eating him into the game, not forcing him to do too much. But when they would play him, they would give him key minutes. And I think that's something where there was so much untapped potential. He went to the AHL this year, and he lived up to all expectations. Um, for Detroit specifically, and going forth, I think the guy that, at least from what I've been told, it seems like the guy they're really targeting is Cole Perfetti. And he's played near the area, played Saginaw. He's one of the absolute best pure goal scorers in this draft. He had 38 goals, I believe, two years in a row, 37-38. But this year, he just absolutely found his game as a two-way player as opposed to just a one-dimensional goal scorer. And when you get a guy who could score so often, all of a sudden now really improving their two-way play, their defensive play, and their passing play, that adds a lot of value. And from what I've been told, his skating's really improved, and the Detroit Red Wings have definitely shown interest in him. And um, I think anyone who tells you outside of the top one pick is a guaranteed and of a player going in any specific order, they're lying to you. I've heard some player, some scouts that say Quinton Byfield's going to number five. I've heard others saying number two. Some have even said number one. Then Stutzel, same thing. So I think when you, I would, if I were Ottawa Senders going three and five, I would go and pick the Swedish Terra Twins. I'd go and pick Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz because they're so good together. If you can get that chemistry playing uh, even two, three years from now, I think that's going to be massive, which then would obviously give Tim Stutzel an opportunity to go to number four to Detroit. And he's a guy where you, lo- you look at how, like, he's good friends with Mark Satter. That'd be an easy connection, I'd say. But Satter wouldn't come over this or the next season, I should say. But there's still so many good options that even, like, you're picking fourth, you're getting someone this year that's going to be a star. This year's draft is going to be, in my opinion, the best draft since uh, 2003. And it's probably going to be eclipsed in 2022 and 2023 with how much talent to come in in those two years. But for this year, you really can't go wrong with the fourth overall pick. As long as we don't have a 99 draft, I think we'll be okay. I can, I think we can all agree on that because that draft was, I mean, there were the Sedin twins and nothing else. I just, I just remember that draft as being so miserable. But I, I like to the know that the top ten are just going to be filled because I, I remember, and I hate to say it because you know there was so much promise for a guy like Jack Hughes, but the U.S. National Development Program absolutely dominated the draft last year. And yeah, there's going to be some guys that'll make their moves later on in their career. But we saw how Jack Hughes didn't quite live up to live up to the billion, but then again, he came from a U 18 level hockey all the way until the NHL. And do you think that's kind of deterred scouts from rating the U S development program so high, or do you think that's just because it was a bad situation? They put a kid that was too young into a, uh, onto a team that was still going to struggle despite how good he may have been in the junior ranks. 
I'd say he performed exactly like we all should have expected. And in terms of the U.S. National Development Team, this year's development program team is not strong, the one that's going up for the draft. But it's going to be really strong the next two seasons. And that consistency is actually something we've never seen out of the program. It's usually one year off. One, one good year, one bad year, one good year. This is going to be the next two years are going to be very strong for the program. At the same time, though, no. Like, I, I think it's, with how Hughes, I, I still think the guy who's going to get 65 points next year. And we're going to tr- see his true value. If you look at his numbers and you compare all the analytics, the closest comparable for a number one pick in the last, 15 years to Jack Hughes is actually Steven Santos. Steven Santos, outside of his injuries, has had a pretty good year. He also had a very similar career projection to Vincent McCabier. So, yeah, you know, he didn't have a super strong start, but you look at those guys and you look at Joe Thornton, guys who weren't necessarily impact or big time impact players right away, and you realize, you know what, there's nothing to be really worried about. I would say Hughes kind of wasn't surrounded by the best talent each night, and New Jersey kind of spread their lines out. He's playing us like Blake Coleman for portions of the year. And while Blake Coleman's a good player, he's not someone who's going to really get the juices moving for a guy like Hughes. He needs to be surrounded by top talent and guys who can take his play. But I think a lot of times this year, you look at plays that he's made, it's like, well, if he had a better winger beside him, that winger probably would have put the puck in the net. And so, so Hughes necessarily wasn't, the, he wasn't the problem of the New Jersey, and he didn't have a great year. But I still think there's so many positive signs about him. There's a reason that by 13, 14 years old, there was a lot of talk about him. He's a very talented player. He, he can control the play. We saw what he did against his own age group. It's just going to take time. Usually when you see a top prospect like that kind of make an impact, they're going to a team that will at least have one or two guys to really kind of spice things up. And New Jersey didn't necessarily do that for him. So it'll be interesting to see how New Jersey tackles the offseason. They're going to need to give him some help because uh, you don't want to waste too many years of youth development. But I, I see there's no reason to be worried about him or even the U.S. development program at this point. It'll definitely be interesting to see how the draft goes. It's always fun to see you know, who, well, obviously this year, number one seems pretty darn unanimous, but who's going to go after? Will be Stutzel? Will Byfield jump up to two? It's, there's so many questions, so little time. Folks, make sure you follow Steven on the Twitter, at StevenLSTHN, and make sure you check out all of his great stuff on the Hockey News. He'll be giving you, obviously, great draft coverage leading up to the draft, which will be shortly after the Stanley Cup Finals, which I think October the 6th, I'm not mistaken. That's right, Steven? That's the first day of the draft? That is correct, and I can't say I've ever wanted a draft to hurry up as much as this one because it feels like it's been five years in the making. It's it's crazy, and the bet and the crazy part is we don't even know when next season's going to start. So this may be our last. The draft may be our last hurrah. I mean, we'll have like two days of free agency, and then it'll be the off season all over again. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us here today. It's been a pleasure. We will definitely chat with you. Maybe if we have a crazy off weird pick, we'll see. We'll have to give you a call and ask what were this what was Steve I I mean, whatever this team was thinking. It may be Stevie, maybe someone else. But thank you once again, Stephen, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs and can't wait to see how the draft goes. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. All right, folks, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs and how the rest of it may go. You're watching the Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll be back right after this. And welcome back to the Cule Show, everyone, here on 12 Ounce Sports Quick Shift Edition. I don't know why that's my thing whenever I say quick shift. It's like, Eureka, quick shift. I 
I, I promise that's not exactly how it all came out. But once again, thank you to Stephen Ellis of the Hockey News coming on. I've been looking to get him for so long. Him and, I mean, the Hockey News guys, I know obviously like a lot of the written publications out there and the online publications, they've been struggling because a lot of them had to, they had obviously budget cuts with the coronavirus and everything. So it's good to see those guys still chugging along and producing great content. Be sure to check them out. The Hockey News. Always good stuff. I'm Tyra Kuehl. You can obviously follow us at The Kuehl Show. Make sure, because we'll be tweeting a lot of their stuff. We always like to post the hockey news because, well, I mean, I like, even though I do my stuff for the hockey writers, um, they, they do a much better job than I do. I can tell you that much right now. So let's get down to some news before we get to the playoffs. Obviously, we only have a little bit of time left here. And of course, with talking to a guy like Steven Ellis, we were going to take all the time in the world we needed to because such a great guy, such a great writer. We had to get all of the good stuff with Stephen Ellis. So let's get to some news before we get to the games. And, of course, game six tonight between the Islanders and Tampa. Joel Edmondson, remember the guy we talked about that was traded from Carolina to Montreal on Monday night with Alex? Well, he signs an extension because he was an expiring contract. So technically it's an extension. Four years, $14 million in total contract with the Montreal Canadiens, pretty much sealing the deal for the fact that now he'll be there with the Habs for a while. And we talked about his great, his, or what kind of a great asset he will be with the Montreal Canadiens, kind of bolstering up that left side. And now all of a sudden Montreal needs more guys on the right side. So we'll see what Mark Bergevin does here to try to continue to make the Habs a little bit better. Maybe not quite a 500 team, maybe a little bit above that, maybe competing for an actual wildcard spot. And, of course, one of the big trades that happened earlier today, Eric Stahl, or excuse me, earlier today, yesterday, recently, I forget what day it was because sometimes my Twitter will just say the same thing over and over again, Eric Stahl traded from the Minnesota Wild to the Buffalo Sabres for Marcus Johansson. And, you know, this is a con- this is a trade that, you know, it's tough because Eric Stahl is a kind of a guy that he's he's become a fan favorite in Minnesota He's one of the top leading scorers for Minnesota still, despite his age. So it's tough for Minnesota because, you know, this is a team that looks like they have an opportunity to continue to rise, despite always being a team that just always seems to somehow get in the playoffs. And I I wonder what the decision is behind Bill Guerin. Obviously, Marcus Johansson, he's still shown that he's a decent player and he could play some good minutes for the Minnesota Wild, of course, with the addition of Nick Bukestad the other day. Minnesota's doing a lot of work right now. But I can't tell if they're offloading or if they are trying to not offload, onload, but they're they're offloading talent or are they trying to get better? Because right now Matthew Dumba sounds like he's on the trade block in Minnesota. And that guy is a, a seemingly top defenseman in this league. And I, I wonder, or top defenseman on Minnesota, and I wonder, are they gonna get rid of him? Because are you getting better or are you getting worse? That's what I wanna, you know, emphasize. I want clarification. If I'm Bill, from Bill Guerin, I want to know, is Minnesota going to get better? Or are they, this is a team that's looking to rebuild. I mean, they've been such a wavering team on the playoff, a playoff bubble team now for, gosh, the last almost decade now. I, I, you wonder if now they're just going to try to, you know, they're going to try to rebuild or retool at least to become in a better team and maybe be a contender in a few years. Because obviously with the salary cap nowadays, it's possible. It'll be tough to get free agents, you know, with, I mean, maybe that's what they're doing is offloading contracts. Zach Parise is still making a lot of money, by the way, for the next, oh, well, only a couple of years now. I forget the contract's almost up with one Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, too. But Suter was still, I, Suter, I think, was still a quality defenseman for Minnesota. 
the Arizona Coyotes, after John Chaka decided to leave right before the Stanley Cup playoffs, they have found his replacement. It is the name of Bill Armstrong. Bill Armstrong, the former assistant general manager in St. Louis, signs on with the Arizona Coyotes. His first ever full-time general manager position was the director of amateur scouting before he became the assistant GM with good old St. Louis over there. And I wonder, you know, obviously his first task would be try to get Taylor Hall. I know that's what the ownership's been trying to do, but there's maybe a lot of talk that maybe Joe Sackick may be interested in Taylor Hall. So Bill Armstrong kind of, you know, is walking into walking in there and realizing, man, I got a lot of work to do because you have a team that yes, got beat pretty handily by Colorado in the first round, but it's still pretty good. They have a good goaltender. They have decent number. They have decent scoring. They have Connor Garland. They have Oliver Ekman Larson, who decided to have a pretty good playoff. If you ask me, this team's not done yet. I think this team can continue to improve, and I wonder if Bill Armstrong is going to try to do that, try to make them a little bit better. Non-NHL news, but for our junior fans out there, obviously we're kind of tickling that a little bit with Stephen Ellis. The IIHF announces that the 2021 World Junior Hockey Championships, the under-20 tournament, the biggest junior tournament in the world, will be played inside a bubble inside Edmonton. The tournament was initially supposed to be inside, or both... Edmonton and Red Deer. You know how they're always typically two cities within a couple hours from each other, if you will. This time, it's going to be in one bubble. Obviously, the IIHF has seen how the NHL has been able to operate in Edmonton with the Western Conference bubble, and they realize, hey, that could work for us too because, heck, there's only so many teams in the in the World Junior Championship. It could work. It'll be a lot of ice, a lot of teams playing at the same time, or a lot of teams playing back-to-back-to-back-to-back, but it may work. You'll probably have games at 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. over there in Edmonton, but it could still be good. You know, it's a lot of good hockey, and they'll be all in one place, which means we get Gord Miller 10 times a day, and Ray Ferraro, it's going to be great. Gord Miller, the voice of Hockey Canada, ladies and gentlemen. So that'll be interesting. Edmonton will also get the 2022 World Junior Championships as well, which will also include Red Deer, so they hopefully can have fans because obviously the World Junior Tournament is such a big money, money grab. Actually, I don't want to say money grab, but it's a big money maker for the for Hockey Canada and forever Hockey Federation's hosting. I know they had to move the Sweden one to 2024 because of the move to 2022, but at least we'll have, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll have fans next year so Edmonton and Red Deer can go crazy for Canada because it's fun. When at least I, I feel like whenever they're out in the prairies, it's a lot more, a lot louder. I mean, Vancouver was still pretty good, but like, do you guys remember when they were in Winnipeg? Remember they were in Saskatoon? Man, that place was rocking. It's fun because there's so much more rowdy in the 50-50 raffles, $2 million or whatever the heck it is. I'm getting off track here. So we only got like 10 minutes left now here in the Kula Show because I went off my rants and all that good stuff. And obviously, once again, we had a great chat with Stephen Ellis in our first part of our show, which did carry a little bit longer. But you know what? Who cares? It was a good chat. I like talking to him. We'll definitely have him on the show again if you know he wants to come back. I hope I left a good impression on him. Do you think he liked me? No, it'll be great. So, first order of business, Dallas. Moving on to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time since the year 2000. Man, it's been a while. This was their first trip to the conference final since 2008 when they lost to Detroit, who ended up winning the Cup that year, if you guys don't remember. They do so by winning 
in five games against the Vegas Golden Knights. They win in dramatic fashion as well, coming down from behind a 2-0 deficit in early into the third period. Goals from Chandler Stevenson and Riley Smith for Vegas. But then Jamie Benn scores his eighth goal of the playoffs. All right, it's a 2-1 game. They'll have a little bit left. Then Joel Kivirata, my new favorite finish player. He looked and he said, we're not going home. Well, I mean, they weren't going to go home anyway, so it was game five, so they wouldn't have, I mean, if they lost, they would have gone to game six, but he said, we're not going home without a win. That's what he meant. Gets a power play goal late to tie it up, and then in overtime, a guy that's been pretty quiet this series, and a guy that's been, you know, oh man, maybe he's only a one-series wonder. He scored four goals in that clinching game against Calgary, but hasn't been able to do much since. Scored a couple goals here and there, but hasn't done anything. Dennis Gariano with the one-timer blast by Leonard, and Dallas, Stars! Dallas Stars are going on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, yes, if my team that I want come out of the East wins, I, you know, I hope Dallas doesn't win because that's my pick. But still, the Dallas Stars, whose goal song is Pantera, every year for the last 20 stinking years. Woo! Stanley Cup Finals. It's so much fun. Good for them. Ninth goal of the playoffs for Dennis Garionov. This guy is on fire, and I... I'm not mistaken. He's getting up there in terms of first-year goal scoring uh, record for the NHL playoffs. I'll have to do my research before Monday's show. And, of course, one of the big reasons why they won that game, Anton Hudobin. 34 saves. As I mentioned with Steven, that's his eighth game that he has made over 30 saves. In the playoffs, he has a 2.62 goals against average and a 9.20 save percentage. Like I said, behind Vasilevsky, that is second among playoff goaltenders. I mean, we talked about it with Steven. There's a reason why he's a possible consummate candidate. I'm not going to say win or lose if Dallas does, you know, how if they win or lose the, the Stanley Cup, he'll be the consummate guy because he could have a bad final. Let's be honest, guys. But he has been one of the big reasons why. Yes, you have Miro Heiskin in producing, and now you have Jamie Benn coming in late, being clutch, being a big time player. And, you know, Yoel Kiviranta just doing his thing over here. It's like, hi, guys, I'm here for the clinching games. But, you know, this team has been able to come around, and I, it starts from the goaltender out. Anthony Dobin plays well, and it just moves through this entire lineup. He's looked good. The Stars are looking good. And the Stars align for this team to make the Stanley Cup Finals. Yes, I said it. I said it. The Stars align. The coffee's finally kicking in. Of course, with six, seven minutes left, I put a thought. Now, game six. Tonight, 8 o'clock puck drop. Islanders, Tampa. Who is going to win? Will we see a Game 7 on Saturday? Because I'm sort of hoping so, because Monday we got a big show, and I want to make sure we can do our actual Stanley Cup preview before Game 1 of the Finals. That'd be nice. So I'm hoping the Islanders win, and I hope Tampa wins, because I picked Tampa, and Tampa, gosh darn it's got to do it. I've had this pick for over a year. It's been like a... It's, well, let's see, is April, so a year and five months. So how many ever days that is? I said over 400 with Steven, and I'm pretty close. Price is right rules. So I got the under, and it's close enough. But listen, the Islanders will play boring hockey. They may win tonight's game. They'll get outshot 30-19, to 19, and Devin Taves is going to score the game-winning goal halfway through the second period with a wrist shot that's going to bounce off no, heck, let's go with I'm trying to think of a def- Kevin Shatkirk's leg off the post in it. They'll win 3 2 because somehow, you know, both teams will come out flying. Islanders will score two goals and then 
Tampa will score two goals, but that'll be it, except for the Devin Taves goal in the second period. So I'm saying 3-2 tonight, because why not? Why not have a dumb game six, dumb start, boring second half, and then have game seven on Saturday night? Which sucks because I have a wedding to go to. I mean, I I mean I'm going to a wedding for my one of my best friends, so that's you know, I'm glad for him, him and his wife or fiance are getting married. It's one of the biggest days of their lives. Good for them. But dang it, I'll miss a game seven. So that's why I don't want to have a game seven. However, I know for a fact, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Would they give him a day off? Because I think if we started the finals on Monday, you could still get the series done by October the 5th, which is, I think, the last day they're going to do it. So realistically, yeah, you could wait till Sunday or Monday, which would be okay. But the way the playoffs have gone, they've gone bang, bang, bang. They may honestly just be like, all right, game six is over. Perfect. We'll have game one on Saturday night because Dallas would be like, wait, we were having such a nice break. And then Tampa will be like, we got to play again. It never ends. I don't know if they're going to be that dramatic about it, but I mean, Obviously, it all depends on, you know, will, like what Steven said, will Braden Point be in the lineup? You know, if he's not even close to being healthy, if he's not a guy that, you know, can go, I, if he's not even 60%, this is not a do-or-die game for Tampa. If you go to Game 7, yes, you're right, Point is in the lineup. But if you can play without him for another game and give your team a shot to win, now we saw that, of course, in Game 3. Didn't quite work out for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game 3? Yeah, Game 3. We saw how the Islanders were able to win without a guy like Alex Kalorn and Braden Point in the lineup. Now, Braden Point was out of the lineup in Game 5, and we saw how important that was because, remember, Braden Point scored the game winning, what ended up being one of the, I think, the clinching goal, actually, excuse me, in Game 4. Big-time player in these playoffs, very important to the lineup. If you can go without him, though, tonight, if you can say, you know what, even if we don't win, his health is more important for Game 7. Because if he can step up in Game 7 when they really need it the most, last-ditch effort, then yes, absolutely go with him. Because here's the thing. Say you do win tonight with Braden Point in the lineup, but he re-injures himself because he was more at risk than if you let him sit for a couple more days. Well, you're going into a Stanley Cup final against Dallas, who, yes, if without Braden Point, you still on overmatch on paper, but then again, look at Dallas. Look what they've done these entire playoffs. They have been outmatched in each of their series, yet they still win hockey games. So I'm just saying, play Braden Point if you if he's ready to go, if he can go. If he can't, let him set another game. Give your team a chance to win in the future because guess what? He'll be there for game seven, and that's when you'll need him most, and then maybe he'll have a day off, a couple days off. I mean, if they played game seven on Saturday, they played game one on Monday, which would be after our show, well, actually be during our show, being 8 o'clock puck drop, but it'll be after we talk about the Stanley Cup Finals on our Monday show, we got a big lineup for that one. We got Peyton Turnage coming back on the show. We got Thomas Biondo coming back on the show. We got Harrison Watt coming back on the show. We're going to have a night at the roundtable meeting talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Game one or not already done, guess what? We're going to talk about it because that's what we do here on the Coolest Show. We don't care if the series already starts. We're going at it. Coming up next year on 12 Ounce Sports as I <sighs> coming up next year on 12 Ounce Sports, the profits. They'll be talking about the start of the NFL season and NBA playoffs as well. Oh man, the Stanley Cup Finals is around the corner. It's been a long playoff, but guess what? We're almost there. 
We are almost there, everybody. If you can make it, I can. No, wait. If I can make it, you can make it. I almost said if you guys can make it, I can make it. Hope you guys can make it because I'm going to try to make it. So help me God, hell or high water, we're going to make it. It's going to be exciting. Thank you very much for watching this episode of the Kill Show Quick Shift Edition. It'll, the replay will be up later. I don't know why it's not on YouTube Live right now, but the it'll be up on our own YouTube page tomorrow. So be sure to check that out. And on your favorite podcatcher as well. That'll be up hopefully here by the end of the night, maybe even before Game 6. We'll see you all next time here on the Kill Show here on 12 Ounce Sports.